0: Hi readers, welcome to Books Connect Us from Penguin Random House. This is a podcast about staying connected with each other and the stories and authors who inspire us. George R.R. Martin is the number one New York Times bestselling author of many novels, including those of the acclaimed series A Song of Ice and Fire, upon which the iconic HBO series Game of Thrones is based. Fire and Blood is his thrilling history of the Targaryens, which is the inspiration for the new HBO series House of the Dragon. On today's episode, fellow author David Anthony Durham talks with George R.R. Martin about his legendary books his thoughts on the full season of House of the Dragon, and takes George through a game of Westeros-themed Would You Rather. We hope you enjoy.
1: So, first up on, on, uh, on the agenda is House of the Dragon, um, season, season one, the finale last night. Um, what did you think of that? Um, and two, that's one, and the, the part two of that is that I know you had seen a rough cut before, but not the finished version, right? And I'm wondering, how different are those?
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, they're considerably different. You know, I've, I mean, I've worked in television film quite a while, so it's mm-hmm. not. I've seen rough cuts before, but um, you know, if, uh, it, it, the special effects, color timing, sound adjustment, mm-hmm. all of these things make a, a huge difference. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, seeing the big uh, dragon battle—that was the highlight of last night's thing. Mm-hmm. In a rough cut is kind of uh, uh, yeah, not not quite the same. Right. As that amazing sequence they did last night yeah. with the storm and the uh, you know the dragons appearing and disappearing in the clouds and uh, you know that that's the magic of special effects, the magic of cinematography, and it, it's uh, considerably considerably different. Yeah. Although my favorite. <clears throat> I saw many of the episodes in a rough cut ahead of time. Do you remember the uh, um I think it was episode three where a king went hunting hmm. and he was hunting for a, a a white heart and uh they they find a right. the heart which is not actually white um, but he he deals with that heart um, well in the rough cut, the part of the heart was played by two stunt men in in uh, bright blue costumes, the blue man group, uh, sort of. One of them was uh, <laughs> holding the other one around the waist, and, uh, you know, the king is stabbing at them. with his head. So the king is hunting the blue man group. Um, it was hilarious when you uh, saw it. But, of course, by the time it was finished, wow. it was a beautiful, realistic-looking art. So you have to get used to, if you work in this business, uh, yeah. to know what... Uh, what a rough cut is and, yeah. and uh, being able to visualize what the final version would be
1: amazing I mean do you ever think we could there could be a special where we get to see some of these rough cuts like they did for Lord of the Rings and stuff like that
2: uh, I, I don't know I don't know I think they may um, at some point do uh, you know a, a blu-ray uh, a DVD and when they do that they often add special features now. What kind of special features they add? Well, they there are deleted scenes in many of the episodes, so we could add back the deleted mm. scenes, and that's something mm. that uh, they frequently like to do. Right. Sometimes there are blooper reels where actors walk into a wall or they forget the line or they do something uh, similar. Um, you know, you could add something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they would do the the blue man group, though. I think the special effects wizards like to like magicians. They, like, don't, they don't want to reveal their tricks. Okay. Yeah, they, they like to like to keep that secret. Right.
1: And uh, the episode itself, and, and how it wraps up the first season.
2: Oh. Uh, it's it's uh, well, of course, we've been working this for a, on on a long time, so I knew where we were going, where we would wrap mm-hmm. up the season. But uh, yeah, I think it did it very powerfully, uh, very powerfully. And uh, now we just have to do it again for season two, yeah. which is uh, also a challenge because everything gets bigger and more characters come into play, and um, we we switch to more locations. I mean, the first season, we were pretty much King's Landing, yeah. Dragonstone, Driftmark were the main locations. Occasionally, we went to the Stepstones uh, for a little battle and dragon action or mm-hmm. to Storm's End. But mostly, it was centered on that. But now, as things get serious, you'll be going to uh, you know, other locations, uh, King, um, Winterfell. And the Starks, and uh, you know, possibly um, the Riverlands, Harrenhal—all um, of these uh, places will be seen. More uh, families and dragons will come into it, and it just gets bigger. So,
1: and you're saying all this, but we have to wait, wait to see that.
2: <laughs> Sadly, yes, you have to wait. You have to probably have to wait until uh, 2024. Because I don't think this show is so big. I don't think we can mm-hmm. have it ready uh, next year in 2023. You know, it came on in August. So mm-hmm. ideally, we would the new season would come on in August of a year later. But it's too big. We can't right. do it that. Now, it may not be a full two years. Maybe come 2024, we'll be able to bring it on in, like, April or May instead of August. But uh, I don't think it's much chance it's going to be before that. Right
1: well, I thoroughly enjoyed the show um, and watched a number of episodes twice. And, and then just, just the other day, my wife and I went back to, um, to, the, to the first season, uh, to the first episode, um, and I felt like, wow, we have been through a lot. I mean, I guess it's the years passing and all the events, it was almost like I was being reminded that this journey, it had been quite a journey, basically, even though it's not, it's not particularly far-flung. Um, but... And rewatching them, I, I recommend it to folks. Um, the the episodes, I think each one gets gets better as I as I rewatch it. Um,
2: were you uh, troubled by the uh, time jumps and the the castings, as, as some people say they were?
1: I wouldn't say troubled. Um, it, it the feeling is this that I wish that we could have spent more time with everything, um, and and yeah, and seeing some of the the the, the relationships develop there. Um, so I would have loved for it to be to be slower, but that's not like I'm not really troubled because I also respect and understand and can see the decision-making process that went into into, into those choices.
2: Yeah, How about actually, you, it, it's always <laughs> an interesting uh, question. I mean, you know, you may have to deal with it yourself someday. I mean, your Hannibal novel, for example. Mm-hmm. What if they made a a feature film of Hannibal or a TV series?
1: It's in development. He has
2: a a long life. Where where do you begin it? Do you have a little child Hannibal? Does he grow up or do you already have him being fully fleshed, going forth to battle Mm -hmm. in, I guess, Spain initially? Yeah, yeah and uh, winning that and invading Italy, but that took years. He campaigned Dude. in Italy for like a decade or something like that, right? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. And, it's a long time period. Then he yeah. got
2: called back to, to fight the Battle of Zama, mm-hmm. and uh, then he had to run away and he lived in exile for a while. How, how do you present all that? What format do you uh, do? You do? Um, and it's a challenge. Um, so. Anything that's a a lengthy period of time, I think you have your your choice where to begin it, and uh, if there are things that come before it, do you present them in dialogue, do you present them in terms of flashbacks or dreams, or do you do the chronological thing and let the years pass, and which does occasionally call for recasting?
1: Yeah, yeah. As as I watched watched the show, um, I was impressed again and again by when a decision by, by the decisions that needed to be made, kind of again and again each episode, um, I could see that um, it was all quite deliberate. you might lose something over here, but you're, but you're gaining something over there. What do you think? You know, maybe time to aside. Were some of the hardest decisions to make in in, in approaching the show?
2: Well, I mean, the hardest decision uh, to, to make was. Uh the one I've just alluded to, Hmm. is is where to begin. I mean, history is continuous. A Fire and Blood, well, both books, actually, and this one longer than that one, um, present the the history of the Targaryen dynasty, largely starting with any detail in Aegon's conquest, um, which is when Aegon the Conqueror and his two sisters Hmm. started taking over Westeros. Now, actually, there's history before that, Um, you know, Aenar the Exile and his daughter Daenerys the Dreamer, who foresaw the Doom of Valyria, came to Westeros and, and moved into Dragonstone like a century earlier. And then they they had children and they died and the children became the lords. and You know, there was a number of <laughs> generations that are listed there. But I don't go into any detail about them until right. I get to Aegon and uh, Visenya and Rhaenys and their three dragons. Um, and then there's you know there's Aegon's conquest. You know we could have begun then. We could have begun uh, you know with with Aegon and not even reached the Dance of the Dragons for you know five seasons yeah. or something because you there's a lot of history is continuous. One of the things that uh, inspired uh, me to do Fire and Blood um, mm. was a, a popular history book that I read way back in the '50s uh, by. Thomas B. Custain, uh, who was a very popular historical novelist of the period, um, and he mostly wrote historical fiction, but he did write a four-volume history of the Plantagenets, and uh, it, it starts from the beginning in the Plantagenet family, and it goes all the way through the, uh, the end of the Plantagenet, <laughs> which was the, the Wars of the Roses, right. when they were exterminated by the, uh, the Tudors. Um, so that's one way to do things I mean history just goes on and on we 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 see these uh, these shows um, movies television shows books that have a have a beginning a middle and end uh, okay here's a book about William the Conqueror and it's like right, William the Conqueror is born William the Conqueror dies but no he's part of a you know there was someone before William the Conqueror he had a father he had a mother where did they come from He had a father and mother and after William the Conqueror died There are more things. There's all the stories of his children. (coughs) So, and who gets to be king after him. Um, So that was the big challenge. Now, we knew around 2016, it became clear that uh, Game of Thrones was was going to end um, probably with seven seasons. As it happened, seven grew and it became eight. But uh, at that point, HBO sort of said, well, what do we, we, we need a, a new show, and I pitched them two shows. One of them was uh, the Dunkin' Egg show, which uh, they didn't didn't pick up on. But I pitched them the Dance of the Dragons, which I already knew about. I'd already written about mm-hmm. to some extent um, in some novellas and in the World of Ice and Fire history book, um, another illustrated coffee table yeah, book like out. that. And they liked that, so uh, we were we were going with. Uh, the Dance of the Dragons, and we've been developing it um, you know, since 2016, okay. in one form or another. <laughs> um, there were a couple of the writers on the show before Ryan Condal um, came on, and Ryan, of course, has done an amazing job. But w- one of the big issues with all of these writers was where to begin. Yeah, Where to begin? Do you begin with Aegon's Conquest? That's a long time ago. Do you begin with, uh, you, well, you saw the show, you saw where Ryan began. Mm-hmm. And I think he made a, a great choice. He mm-hmm. began in 101 with the Great Council, with a Lord's vote that Jaehaerys is heir. He's just lost his son, Balon, who has died of appendicitis. So who is his heir now? And they choose the Lord's vote to choose Viserys over Rhaenys. Um, and then you immediately skip forward. It's just that one prologue scene and then you skip forward to skip over Jaehaerys' death, mm-hmm. skip over yeah, all that. Yeah. Viserys has been in power for a number of years and you pick it up with the tournament, the conflict with uh, Damon, the the birth of uh, his male heir, and of course it, it turns into a horror when his wife Emma, Queen Emma, dies and the child dies um, a day later. and. Rhaenyra is declared heir. you You recall all of that oh, from, yeah.
1: <laughs> I do indeed.
2: <laughs> um, but I don't know if I should reveal this. Maybe I should wait for a uh, a blu-ray or something after the show. But that was not you know handed down by uh, um, some <laughs> some muse from ancient Greece. Uh, we myself and the other writers had uh, a lot of spirited discussions about where to uh, where to begin that story. One of the writers wanted to begin it. Uh, Later, wanted to begin it essentially with Emma dying. So skip the Great Council, Hmm. skip the tournament, a scream sounds out, Emma is dead. That's where you begin. Um, So that was one possibility. Uh, And another uh, of the writers wanted to be, in even later than that, to begin with Viserys dying. So you open, act one, scene one, Viserys is, and what happens there? Well, then you have to present all that material in flashbacks or dialogue. Yeah. That becomes challenging, too. Um, but we discussed all these possibilities. And the other possibility we discussed, which was actually my favorite possibility, but nobody liked it except me. Um, <laughs> I would have began it much earlier. I would have began it, like, 40 years earlier with an episode I would have called The Air and the Spare, in which... Jaharis's two sons, Amon and Balon, are alive, and we see the friendship, but also the rivalry between the two uh, sides of the of the great house. And then, you know, Amon dies accidentally when a when a, uh, a uh, mirish crossbowman shoots him by accident um, on Tarth, And then Jaharis has to decide who becomes the new heir. Is it the daughter of the older son who's just died, or is it the second son who's only, you know, has children of his own and is a man and she's just a teenage girl? You know, all of that stuff. So you could have presented all of that stuff, but then you would have had 40 more years and you would have even more time jumps and you would have even more recastings. And, uh, yeah, I was the only one who was really enthused about that. Uh, uh, So I don't know, but I, I... I've always loved uh, the poetry of Rudyard Kipling, and uh, I, I love his uh, poem, In the Neolithic Age, where the refrain is, there, there are 9 and 60 ways of constructing tribal lays, and every single one of them is right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true for writing books or television shows. There are many ways you can approach these things, and if you do it well, it, it can work.
1: Well, throughout all this, we're kind of indirectly, indirectly talking about fire and blood. And there's so much material in this about the Targaryens, um, but could you just introduce introduce the book and, and your approach to it? It's a, it's a history book, but there's a lot of different versions of things, and you know.
2: Yes. Well, of course, as you know, I'm I'm writing and have been writing for many decades now. A Song of Ice and Fire, which is uh, the 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 series of books that was the basis of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Uh, And there's still two more books to do. And those are, you know, conventional novels. So they're very, very ambitious and complex novels because I have multiple viewpoint characters. I'm interweaving all of the different stories. Essentially, I'm writing, you know, seven, nine, twelve novels and interweaving them together. Um, But they are conventional novels. Each chapter has a viewpoint character, and you, you see it through that. When it became clear that uh, we were going to uh, do the Dance of the Dragon show, but that ultimately became House of the Dragon, but initially we called it Dance of the Dragons, um, we wanted a, a book to go with that. And I already had the seeds of the book from material that was in The World of Ice and Fire and from the novellas I'd written for my friend Gardner Dozois, mm-hmm. Princess and the Queen, and um, The Rogue Prince and uh, so forth. Um, so I actually asked, we're in the, the, the Random House um, offices here, and uh, I'm, I'm about to get them in terrible trouble, huh. but, <laughs> but I asked them, well, what to, do you want me to just I- ignore the new show that's coming down the pike, or should I finish that book so you can get it out, and then go back to, and they said, yeah, give us the, The new book gets closer to being done. You still have two more books. So I I put Winds of Winter aside for a while, and I concentrated on finishing Fire and Blood. Um, There was a lot of it already there, but I had to expand it and polish it. And particularly, I had to fill in uh, the reign of Jaehaerys. Because if you look at the earlier versions, he was... Reigned for 55 years, but he was the good king, and so pretty much all I said, well, he was a good <laughs> king, and there were half a century of peace right. and prosperity. Well, nobody wants to read that; that's boring. So I had to, uh, I had to, you know, flesh all of that out and write a material under Harris, and I did, and that came out in uh, in, in 2018, mm. uh, and then I switched immediately back to uh, you know, when wins winter. All right.
1: You mentioned 2018. I. I read it in 2018, shortly after it came right. out, and it was you know, quite an experience. Um, so much history, so many names, so many births and deaths and, um, and betrayals, and every now and then someone does something nice, I guess. Um, it was an awful lot of it, and I loved it, but it was also kind of overwhelming. Thing is, that, that really kind of set me up to enjoy watching House of the Dragon. Um, because all those names, or some of those names, um, became actual, you know, people, actors who who did who did amazing jobs, and you know, c- could Incredible
2: connect with jobs, them. Yeah, yeah, I love our actors. Yeah.
1: So, so for me, having read it um, ahead of time was kind of a pleasure because every now and then I would go, "Oh, I know that just set up something that's going to happen later on," um, and I was kind of being reminded of it. Um, and I feel like it's yes, uh, you could you could like not. Read Fire and Blood, but I think you don't lose anything because you're also there are various versions of a lot of events um, in the book, but you still don't know what what's what's going to be on the show exactly. Which is,
2: uh, yes, and but I had a lot of fun writing that book. Um, I, I hope it was fun for the readers too. I think yeah. it was fun for many of the readers, but not all. There mm-hmm. are people who wanted a conventional novel. Oh sure, sure. But um, you know, if you look at A Song of Ice and Fire, the main series that I'm writing. Um, I still have two more books to write, and uh, the the series is only covering a handful of years, the events of a handful of years. Mm -hmm. To cover two and a half centuries, I would have had to write 20 novels of, you know, Aegon the Conqueror and his two sons and Magor the Cruel and this revolt and that revolt. Um, It would have taken me uh, a long time. I'm not the fastest writer in the world. Um, So I decided to do it um, as a as a fake history, you know, mod- modeled uh, to a great degree on uh, what Thomas B. Costain did with mm-hmm. his Plantagenet mm-hmm. history. <clears throat> and then the other thing that got me going was the thought of, uh, of history mm-hmm. and how history is, uh, is recorded to us. And the thing is, we don't, you know, we think we know history, but we don't. We don't have time machines. We rely on the people who pass it down to us, and there are often contradictions. Um, I, I, that was really brought home to me many decades ago when I was writing uh, uh, a novel never published about uh, yellow journalism in uh, New York City in, in the 1890s, and it was, uh, you know, it was a great era. There were 14 daily newspapers in New York. I was writing a story, uh, sort of a historical horror novel, about three reporters competing for, uh, for a big story, tracking down a killer. And one of them was a reporter for the New York World, Joseph Pulitzer's New York World, which was one of the dominant papers of the time. And the world was down a newspaper row. All of the newspapers were on, like, the same block. But Pulitzer built the tallest building in the world at the time. And he topped it with a golden dome. And it stood right next to The Sun, which was a rival paper. And uh, the editors didn't like each other, so people joked it from his Golden Dome, Pulitzer could spit down on the sun. Um, but the thing is, when I'm researching this book, and I, there was no internet then, so I had, I had gathered every book I could do about journalism, the period, mm. and life of Pulitzer, and life of everything, and I'm researching it. A very simple question. How many stories was the world building? It's the tallest building in the world. It's a famous building. And I encounter two different versions Oh, it had 15 stories. It had 14 stories. And then I try to dig more, and there's some 14, there's some 15. And then I encounter one that said it had 20 stories. Say, what the hell? The building doesn't exist anymore. I don't have a time travel. How many stories did it have? It's a simple fact. Mm -hmm. And then you go from that, and you you look at the history. And history is full of wonderful stories. You know, I draw a lot in medieval history. But, you know, Edward II, deposed as king of England by his own son and imprisoned and then murdered. Supposedly by having a red hot poker thrust up his ass. Mm. Or really, or did someone invent that story later? It's very colorful, but the things are that it's probably invented later. And then the, uh, uh, the Black Dinner Scotland, which was one of the sources for the, the Red Wedding,
1: mm. you
2: know, that. Yeah. The King of Scotland invites the Earl of Douglas, the Black Douglas, and his, son, his uh, brother, who are two teenagers, one of them is like 18, one of them is like 16, to a dinner at, uh, at his castle, and they have a lavish dinner. And then at the end, they bring out a big covered plate, silver platter, and a, a, a gloomy, sonorous mm-hmm. song begins to do. And they lift, a, they lift a plate, and it's a black boar's head, which is the symbol of death. And then they take out the two Douglases and murder them. Um, great story. Very much inspired, you know, <laughs> the Red Wedding, although they did it. But did it ever happen? Probably not. Uh, mm-hmm. yes, the Douglases were certainly killed, but was there any was there a song? Was there but they, they made it better, you know, some later thing made it better. So that got me all thinking, all of this stuff got me thinking about history and saying oh. I'm not just gonna do a history, I'm gonna do a history written a couple hundred years later and you know when you're writing a book, I'm sure you you do this with your book too, you, you know you have an idea for a scene but then you have a different idea for a scene. Oh which one should I go with? Mm-hmm. I'll go with this one, I'll go with that one well oh, that one's too wild, people never believe it. I'll, I'll go with that, you tend to go with the conservative scene but with that kind of thing, I could have it both ways. I could say, well, this is how Septon Eustace said it went, and this is how Grandmaster Orwell said it went, and this is how Mushroom said it went. And you pick you pick which one, because we don't know. Yeah, exactly. Archbishop of Gildane doesn't know, and we don't know. You don't know, really, the truth about Hannibal no. or Spartacus in the books you've written about them. How much, how much of your historical fiction is, in fact, made up <laughs> compared to your fantasy. <laughs> it's
1: it's kind of amazing that I can feel very proud um I would say of, of um, Pride of Carthage, the Hannibal novel, and also know know that he probably didn't speak one complete sentence of the dialogue that I, I gave him. Right. Like it's it's and yet I'm hoping that it still captures the story and speaks to readers. But that the inter the way that fantasy and at history um, intermingle and, and inform each other, I think is, is amazing. When I was writing that book, um, I was trying to, I was driving around Spain um, with my, my wife and my kids, we were camping a lot, was drinking a lot, lot, lot of nice wine, and we were taking in um, you know, ruins and, and you know, we were doing research. Um, but I kept realizing that the place that I needed to write about, it wasn't there anymore. Like sure. I'd go to a ruin, go to a ruin, and it was, you know, it was the Roman ruin, but then it was like a medieval ruin, and, and it was and it was a modern city built on it, and everything. So it kind of had to, 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 you know, lean in to using my imagination, and I think that hap- happening with with Pride of Carthage is probably kind of opened some doors that led me to inevitably <laughs> toward fantasy, um,
2: and. Yeah. It's odd, because I, I love historical fiction uh, as well as science fiction and fantasy, and I read a lot of historical fiction. But there's a line, and I would be very hard-pressed to define it. I mean, sometimes I pick up a, a, a novel of historical fiction, <clears throat> and there's something in it that I just know is wrong. It just jars me right from the beginning, mm-hmm. and it, it, you know, it, yeah. puts me, it puts me right out of it, you know. I'm reading a Julius Caesar novel, and it turns out he has a a twin brother. Well, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't want to read about that anymore. Um, But other things I'll I'll let people get away with. Um, You know, uh, frequently I don't know. But, I mean, I love, I love, uh, one of my great influences um, in television is I, Claudius, which, of course, is based on the I, Claudius BBC series is based on the, uh, Uh, Robert Graves' novels, *I Claudius* and *Claudius to God*, Mm -hmm. which in turn is based on the history of Suetonius, and Suetonius lived hundreds of years after the events he was recording. He was just, and he was the mushroom of his time, and he never, nobody ever died in Suetonius of natural causes. Everybody was poisoned or or murdered or Mm -hmm. something like that. But it certainly makes for a lively uh, read. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, We could keep talking. But now let's do something silly. Oh, dear. I um, okay. <laughs> have a few questions here of the would-you-rather um, variety. Um, so let's play that. Would you rather be a maester or join
2: the King's Guard? I would rather be a maester, of course. <laughs> I mean, uh, they're at the citadel, they have books. I could read all day and write all day, History, which is <laughs> pretty much what I like. Uh, and the Kingsguard, I uh, would have to dress in armor. It's very hot and uncomfortable. And uh, wear white all the time. It really gets dirty. Uh, very hard to keep that white armor and the white cloak clean. And uh, both of them take vows of chastity. So I, I, I wouldn't get any wives or girlfriends in either case. So might as well go with the Maester. OK.
1: I think I know what you'll what you'll say about this one. But then again, these two things are actually quite different. Would you rather have a dragon or a dire wolf?
2: Well, that's an interesting, that's an interesting question, too. Um, the dragon has certain advantages. Number one, it is you can fly. And I would love to uh, be able to fly as a kid, you know. I read superhero comics. Mm-hmm. I, I I didn't want to be Batman swinging on a rope. I wanted to be Superman and flying through skies and all of that stuff. Flying Mm -hmm. is a uh, primal dream. So, yeah, flying on a dragon and being able to uh, burn the hell out of my enemies, that's uh, useful too. Um, (laughs) On the other hand, uh, uh, the direwolves are friendlier than the dragons and, uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, like big, shaggy dogs and uh, there was probably more of a close and affectionate um, bond between mm-hmm. them, and uh, I would like to have a dire wolf right now at my house in, in Santa Fe. We moved into a new house a while mm-hmm. ago. It's a beautiful house and it has a little kind of waterfall in the back and a well. It has a couple pools, beautiful pools, and uh, I stocked those pools with koi because I thought that would be cool. Oh. and the raccoons ate yeah. all of my koi. Mm-hmm. But if I had a dire wolf, those <laughs> damn raccoons would stay the hell away. <laughs> <laughs> they would indeed. Would you
1: rather have the hound or the mountain play defense for the New York Giants?
2: Uh, You've got to go with the hound. I mean, the mountain is bigger, and he's fiercer, but he would get constant penalties for unsportsmanlike conduct and, uh, you know, terrible things like that. You're not allowed to rip the head off opponents, or pop their eyes out with your thumbs. That's oh. definite no-no in, in uh, the National Football League. So I'll it, go with the Hound. OK, so we have
1: progressed in some ways over here. <laughs> um, would you rather have Tywin Lannister or Otto Hightower as your hand?
2: Ooh, boy. I don't know. I can't have Tyrion Lannister. <laughs> that was not one of the options. <laughs> um, I think Tywin, but it's hard. Mm. They're similar types. They're both pretty smart, but yeah.
1: Okay, would you rather freeze to death beyond the wall or burn alive in Dragonfire?
2: That's another tough one. Um, Can I just live forever? No. (laughs) No. I can't die the way Tyrion wanted to die. That's a pity. Uh, and I can't say how he wanted to die, but it's in the books. <laughs> Read the books. He's asked that question uh, by Shaga, son of Dolph. Um, I think freezing, mm. fire is supposed to be a really, really painful way to die, yeah. I've always heard.
0: Thank you for listening to Books Connect Us. For more great book recommendations and information about your favorite authors, feel free to follow Penguin Random House on social media or visit penguinrandomhouse.com. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps more listeners to find our show. This podcast is produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. I've been Erin Leaf. And until next time, this has been Books Connect Us.